Hello, and welcome to Ice Age Prep Reads, Season 3, Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty. This is a book that I'm reading off Scribd.com, and I recommend that you find a version that you can view as well. There are some great illustrations in, that go really well with this book. Today, this is Chapter 4, Return to the Lost World. Maze lay undiscovered in a mountain cave underneath a large rock until a bolt of lightning penetrated the cave and split the rock apart, revealing the seed, Popol Vuh, sacred book of the Ki- Kichimaya. I think that's how you pronounce it. Tikal, first city of the Mayan civilization, is linked between Olmec culture and Mayan. It therefore seemed to us to be the right place in Mesoamerica to take our instruments. We knew about the connection between prosperity and mounds and Olmec civilization. We also knew from England, described in Chapter 9, that some man-made Bronze Age, Bronze Age mounds were highly active, electromagnetically speaking. So it made sense for us to visit Tikal. Once arrived, we did what all first-time visitors do, go straight to the Grand Plaza, a World Heritage Site, and incidentally, the spot depicted as the rebel base in the first Star Wars movie. Surely we thought this was where the power must reside. So when our guide, Louise, knocked on our door at the Jaguar Inn just before 3 a.m., we dutifully followed him into the pre-dawn darkness. Prior experience had taught us that this was the right time of day to catch the geomagnetic fluctuations and tulare ground currents that we were stalking. Atop what Co and Deal had dubbed Temple 2, but what everyone else calls the King's Pyramid, our small team set up. We used a flux gate magnometer to catch the geomagnetic changes, round electrodes and a hundred feet of wire to measure the telluric currents, and two electrostatic voltmeters to measure electric charge in the air. We sat down and waited. A few things can try your patience more than staring at a meter hour after hour. Computers were not feasible alternatives as laptop batteries would not give us the amount of time we needed. We recorded magnetic changes and electric charges in the air, but nothing unusual, nothing we couldn't find in the jungle far from the ruins, nothing we couldn't find at home, for that matter. The pyramid that we had just staked out was one of the last ones built here, around 600 AD. The people of Tikal were conquered by a northern tribe. After a century of subjugation, a rebel chief led a successful revolt, putting the locals back into power. In celebration of his triumph, two fantastic steep pyramids were built, today called the King's and Queen's Pyramids. The former is dead as a doornail, electrically speaking, and the Queen's has been off-limits since a tourist descended the steep staircase, stumbled down, and broke his neck. Most of the hundreds of other structures in this metropolis have been built before these two pyramids. So we reasoned the engineers of the early buildings would have had their pick of locations. But if there was magnetic, if there was energetic ground around here, it would have been theirs for the grabbing. The fact that a later purely political pyramid did not exhibit electrical charts suggested to us that the Olmec's knowledge was possibly lost in the cultural collapse of the 7th century. We decided to test our theory. Then there's several pages of plates in the book. Pulse of the Pyramid Set several hundred yards away from the Grand Plaza and its teeming visitors, 
lies the first structure in this in this first city of the Maya. It has been named the Lost World Pyramid because of its isolated position. Erected around 600 BC, more than a thousand years before the more elaborate structures, it is much humbler than most of the newer pyramids, lower and flat on top. During the incredible 1300 years that it had been in use, it was expanded six times, so we had set our sights there. On the first morning, we found impressive electrical and magnetic charges on top of this 200-foot pyramid. Elated as we were, our excitement this day was dwarfed by what we found on our next-to-last morning in Tikal, where this book began. Over seven hours that day, our array of scientific instruments recorded an electrical dance of sorts between the atmosphere and our planet's surface, a dance in which this 2,600-year-old structure acted as intermediary. The amount of electric charge in the air was greater than what we had usually found during the thunderstorms. Fortunately, we had obtained the assistance of the U.S. Geological Survey in Colorado, who advised us in our purchases, who had advised us in our purchase and use of ground electrodes. These electrodes showed that the ground of this tiny plateau was pulsing with the strongest electric currents we had found anywhere, up to 600 millivolts per kilometer. This reading is enormous for telluric currents. Intriguingly, it is in the same range as those measured on Piton de la Fournaise. So perhaps the Olmec, who designed the first version of this pyramid, were in fact trying to duplicate something that ha happened naturally in their volcanic homeland, just as they had seemed to be at San Lorenzo. However, measurements of current in the ground of the plateau surrounding the pyramid showed that while the whole miniature plateau was pulsing, it seemed to be the ground beneath the pyramid that was producing most of the action. Geologists use this method to identify certain subsurface geological features that are known to conduct current the best. It certainly looks as though the Lost World Pyramid was placed directly atop one of these. As we shall see in Chapter 10, the Americas are probably not the only places where this was done. The top of Tikal's Lost Pyramid, Plate 10, was clearly concentrating this ground current and linking up with an airborne electric field that ranged from 1,100 1, volts on the ground to 1,720 volts when we lifted a voltmeter over our heads to 8 feet. Airborne readings, uh, sorry, airborne readings will normally rise with height because of the ground of the atmosphere tend to carry opposite charges. But from ground level to 8 feet usually shows a difference perhaps 90 volts or so which is what we had happened to King's Pyramid. Here we had a significant difference. 540 volts averaged over eight readings on different days. One day these readings showed on average change of 908 volts from ground to eight feet high up, or 10 times that of the gradient of the King's Pyramid. These voltages might sound lethal, and if it were household current, they could be. However, the static electric charge in the air is a different type of electricity, even a thousand volts is not dangerous. In fact, you can generate a stronger charge by rubbing your hair with a rubber balloon. That's why our hair did not stand on end at the top of the pyramid. Nevertheless, these readings are out of the ordinary and can have some profound biological effects as we are about to see. Furthermore, the electric charge in the air jumped dramatically at the time of, of official sunrise for about 40 minutes or so. This was due in this this is due to the change in the Earth's magnetic field at sunrise. 
but in the three mornings on the Lost Pyramid, it averaged 827 volts versus 186 volts on the King's Pyramid. And such exaggerations of the dawn surge are known to be associated with certain geological configurations. It seemed like the oldest pyramid was built on just that sort of ground, while the later, later ones were not. The knowledge that had led to the building of the early pyramids was lost when Tikal's rulers were overthrown, and the practical benefits would have also been lost. The literally dead king's pyramid had no effect on seed. It is interesting to note that not long after this possible cultural decay, the civilization of Mayan Tikal crashed. Readings at the Lost World Pyramid were always higher on the four corners. Even below the top, holding a meter to a corner, always gave a 45 to 60 volt inch stronger readings than any other part. This was in keeping with that science, what science knows to be the behavior of electric charge. As I mentioned earlier, geophysicists have made measurements atop Mexican volcanoes showing that electric charge concentrates at sharp edges. Perhaps this effect was copied by the Olmec from their volcanic homeland. And perhaps they shared this knowledge with the Maya in building this very pyramid on which we now stood. As shown in figure 2, all these effects are in keeping with how electric ground charge is known to interact with electric atmospheric charge at a hilltop. To get control of readings for that morning, I hurried to the tallest pyramid in Tikal, Temple 4, a later structure that was built for political prestige, and where tourists today gather to watch the sunrise. None of the electrical forces were present here. Only the early Lost World Pyramid was pulsing with energy. Building a pyramid has two com complementary effects. It concentrates any electrical charge in the ground at the top, and it bunches up the atmosphere's electric field lines at the top. Figure 2 also shows why you would think hard about whether or not to give your pyramid the pointed top or a flat one. If you have as much energy as seemed to be present at the Lost World Plateau, and you can concentrate and you concentrate it too much by using a pointed top, like an Egyptian pyramid, then in a rainforest environment with plenty of lightning strikes during a thunderstorm, the amount of energy concentrated at the top may be too much for your purpose. The main god of the Aztecs, the Mayan's cultural descendants, was Tlaloc, he who makes things grow. He was also god of rain and lightning, and the largest Aztec pyramid on a scale with Egypt's was dedicated to him. Maze on Maze Mountains Back on the Lost World Pyramid, we laid out the most sensitive of all our monitors, corn seed or maize. Interestingly, the Mayans called their pyramids Maze Mountains. They were often placed over or beside fertile caves. In fact, long before Mayan civilization, the Olmec began their tradition of bringing seed to altars in caves, decorated with fertility symbols, afterwards taking the seed home with them. From years in Asia, we knew that the Chinese, among others, do not waste such food offerings by throwing them away. They eat them, leaving the offering for a day on an altar to the traditional earth god, for example. They then remove and consume it. Perhaps the vines took it home and planted it. Anthropologists of the 19th century reported common offerings of maize seed in the Mayan caves with jaguar fertility figurines. Today, white-robed Mayans can be seen emerging from the jungle before dawn to perform ceremonies atop the pyramids of Tikal. Part of the ritual involves placing corn seed and beans on the highest stairs. 
After the gods had have had time to take the essence from the offering, the mines take it to their home to be used. They always miss some, and we found dozens of seeds scattered wildly across the top of the king's pyramid. One can easily imagine how all this might, might have begun. If Mayans originally had caves that they used for rituals, perhaps vision quests, some of these caves might have become shrines where offerings were made. Every traditional culture uses offerings to the gods or na nature forces that they revere. Food is the most common offering, and for Mayans, the basic food staple has always been corn. If someone took corn seed home after it had been left for a while on a cave as an offering, planted it, and saw dramatically better growth, it would not take long for word to spread. Soon the cave would be thought of as a fertility cave. Then the Olmec introduction of the pyramids could have been married to this tradition, and we have the pyramids placed over or next to fertility caves, just what the ethnographers have reported. As described in later chapters, we had previously placed seed on Native American earthen mounds in central U.S., as well as in pre-Columbian rock chambers in New England, which looked like artificial caves with fascinating results. Here at Tikal, we dried local corn seed, purchased a few days before in a Mayan hill town. This local corn seed was not high quality, which was precisely what we wanted, seed whose vigor was as close as possible to the ancient stocks that were in use before modern breeding and seed handling. We spread the samples on the flat rock atop the pyramid and waited, still taking readings on our instruments. While the howler monkeys roared and birds started in calling, the early morning fog drifted eerily through the tree tops levels from our vantage point, dawn returning colors to the world. Light balls in improved growth. At 11 a.m. we packed up and left, exhausted and hungry, but elated. We sensed we had struck gold. Little did we realize that the best results were yet to come. Months later, back in the U.S., the, seed, the corn seed from the Lost World Pyramid was germinated at Pinelandia Biophysical Laboratory in Michigan by biophysicist W.C. Levengood. The photos of these germinated seeds revealed some remarkable results. The Mayan corn seed that we spread out on the electrical, electrically inactive King's Pyramid did no better than the control seed kept in our hotel room. In fact, they did a bit worse, probably the influence of the heavy dew that settled on them that morning. But growth of the seed placed the first morning on the electrically active Lost World Pyramid was clearly improved. And finally, seed left atop the Lost World Period on the day of the highest electrical activity was drastically improved. Uh, just a side note, there are a few pictures of these particular experiments so again find a copy of the book so you can see these for yourself furthermore article photos were bursting with visible confirmation of these electromagnetic forces on several prior occasions we had noticed that balls of light appeared in flash photos taken at ancient sites as dr levengood explained it the photons of the flash add energy to the already energetic molecules of the electrified air these molecules absorb this extra energy, driving, driving them to a still higher energy state. Within a fraction of a second, however, the molecules drop back down to the original energy state, radiating extra flash energy as light. All this happens too fast for the eye to catch, but not for the camera. Since we had recorded the actual times of exposure for our photos as well as the times of all instrument readings, we could confirm that the photos were chalked with overlapping light balls when the air was highly electrified. 
Again, there's photos of this. As the amount of electric charge dropped, so did the density of these light balls and photos taken at the same vistas. All of the factors that we went to Guatemala to look for now had come together and had been recorded. We were on our way to linking a series of startling findings into a coherent picture. And then there are the pages of the photos. And that is the end of chapter four. Pretty short one, uh, but that's okay. That's great. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at age underscore prep. Um, next chapter is called, is chapter five, and it's called Before the Inca. Thanks everyone for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you next time.